This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Eric Hulkerin, and let's get ready for some football. Big 10 is back at the end of October, and we are going to talk about all of it with Aaron McMahon and Matt Wenzel who cover MSU and U of M, respectively. Now, that, that being said, you know, that we have seen outbreaks. I mean, this came out today, the Chicago Tribune, that Wisconsin had 40-some-odd players infected uh, since, since September or since August 1st. Uh, and we've seen outbreaks at Rutgers. We've seen outbreaks at Michigan State, like Matt was talking about earlier. Uh, so many schools have been hit hard. Uh, and I, I would suspect, like Matt was saying and theorizing, I, I think you'll see one or two. It would not, would not surprise me if you saw one or two other schools in the Big Ten face the same reality as we as we get deeper into the fall. Uh, and that impact that will impact games. I think it goes without saying that people are excited that football is back. So let's get into this. My co-host, as always, Vice President of Content, John Heiner. John, how are you today? Well, Eric, my friend, I am confused. I'm not sure what world I'm living in these days. Am I living in the world that is uh, beset by a pandemic and it's not safe? Uh, we're having outbreaks on college campuses and it's not safe to play college football? Or am I living on the world that we're having outbreaks on college campuses and it is safe to play college football? And apparently this week, the Big Ten has decided uh, after postponing a season to resume its uh, football season, which I'm a football fan, so um, it's going to be great to see some college football. But I think it also raises some some big questions about their motivations and what they're trying to accomplish and and all, all in the midst of the pandemic. So today, as our guests, we have Big Ten football writers for University of Michigan, Aaron McMahon, and for Michigan State University, Matt Wenzel um, from MLive. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining Behind the Headlines. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. Good to be here as well. I, I mean, where do you even start to unspool this? It's been sort of like watching a slow motion train wreck. I mean, it's been a daily thing. Um, it seemed like they had buyer's remorse right after the Big Ten presidents voted a while back to not have the season or postpone the season at least. All of a sudden you had petitions, you had coaches speaking out. Jim Harbaugh was one of them, uh, Ryan Day, uh, parents groups, um, student athletes, all protesting. And uh, there seemed to be a lot of resolve from chancellors and presidents, um, but then you know a lot of stuff happened. And here we are, and they voted now to, in late October to resume the season. And there's a lot to unpack here, but if you would, guys, just from an overview standpoint, what the heck happened to cause this turn to turn to turn around? I mean, it might not be a simple answer, but but where do you start, Aaron? Why don't you go first? Yeah, and I've said this in, in other interviews I've done about the Big Ten situation, but you know, given the the fact that social media is so prevalent these days, and and the, the way this the whole thing transpired, it, it's almost like you, know, you can equate it to watching a sausage being made. I, I think you saw different fat, you saw different factions kind of spill out into the public in terms of what they want and their motivations, and and you didn't get all the facts. You're getting drips and drabs here and there, and it was. It was a quite a quite a long journey. The last you know 35, 37 days have been have been wild from the, the beginning of the Big Ten's uh, initial postponement until the, the reversal. Uh, you saw it was a, it was really a roller coaster of emotions, up and down, 
Uh, you saw, as you mentioned, you had players and coaches come out uh, and parents too. Uh, and then at the end of the day, though, you know, the, I think the Big Ten presidents and, and chancellors, um, you know, uh, amid a, 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 you know, a lot of things, you know, a lot of political pressure. And they said they got new facts from, from their medical experts. Uh, and then there's financial real, you know, realities in all this too. So there's a lot of play here. There's a lot of things going on. Um, but we're at, at the end of the day, we're at the same situation, same spot as we were, you know, back, back in July and August as they were prepping initially for a, for a football season. Matt, <clears throat> earlier this summer, late spring, uh, during workouts, MSU had an outbreak on their team and they had to suspend their, their operations. So from Michigan State's perspective, wouldn't you think they might have a different approach or different view um, or was that just taken as run of run of the mill type of thing? It's going to happen with young young people. I I think Michigan State's situation is really unique. Um, I mean, I, Michigan's similar. You look at uh, Samuel Stanley, uh, who's the president. He's a you know he's got his medical degree from Harvard, and he's an infectious disease expert. So I can't think of anybody you'd want running your university at this point in time who's more qualified to weigh in on these matters and. To give Michigan State credit, they are one of the schools that has been transparent in releasing COVID uh, testing numbers. And at that time, they had had, you know, could they have been, they had, you know, guys got back to campus in June and they'd been releasing numbers weekly. And up until it was around July 23rd or so, 24th, somewhere around there when they, when they halted uh, workouts for two weeks, they had some of the better, more encouraging numbers that you'd seen among programs uh, in the country releasing these numbers. And you had, what kicked it off, you had one staff member who tested positive and they immediately stopped workouts. So that was a Wednesday. And then they announced on that Friday that they had had a student athlete and an additional staff member had tested positive. And that's when they, they announced the two week quarantine. So I think that was more out of an abundance of caution than anything else. And it probably told you that the initial pause, whoever that staff member was who tested positive was someone who was in close contact with a lot of people on the team, hence the reason to shut everything down. But, um, you know, I, I think overall, the, their protocols that they had they announced back when they were bringing when they said they were bringing kids back to campus in June were among the better, more thorough, more detailed plans that I saw schools releasing. And I think that comes from leadership at the top and who's in place. So, um, you know, they, they want to play like like I think every most every if not every other team in the Big Ten wants to. So, I think once they got the clearance, um, you know, what was widely discussed on Wednesday with the, the protocols in place for the Big Ten now that they were they were on board once uh, once they could do it. One of the things that was said at the time of the postponement, one of the arguments was that the student athletes are safer in the program than, than, than regular students who may be in dorms or fraternity house or something like that. They're not in a bubble. I mean, they, they, do, they are in the, the general community. But do you guys, what, how much stock do you put into that, that, that the coaches and so forth have control over these programs and that, and that they can monitor and that they can manage the situation better than the general student population? I think there's there's obviously some merit to that just because when the student athletes, you know, <clears throat> at least in Michigan's case, when they came back in mid-June, they're being tested weekly and, and in some cases twice a week. So they were getting regular testing. They were being monitored, like you said, and, and they were, um, you know, and if there were issues, they had, you know, trainers and, and medical um, folks at their disposal, whereas regular students necessarily don't have that type of, that type of, you know, <clears throat> support. Um, but, you know, 
the question then becomes, does that change at all if they didn't play football this fall? Um, and, and by and large, I don't think it would have changed much because these, these student athletes still had access to the facilities. They're still able to work out to some degree. They're still able to you know, get meals and eat and have access to the trainers, and the medical staff. Uh, so I don't think it would have changed much. Um, but I, I do think there's some validity to that, that the football players were in a better position you know, uh, where they were than, than had they just been treated as a regular student. Um, but again, I don't know. I, well, while that's true, I don't know how much that, that, that changes once again on the football field. That's the question that I think folks were waiting to see once the college football season got going. And now that it had, now we're, in, we're entering week two here, we're, getting, we're starting to get more answers. Um, but, you know, they, they've got a long way to go, as, as we all know. Have you seen any protocols spelled out for what happens now that we're, we're on track to have a season if there is an outbreak or even one person uh, in the program? I know that right now in the general student population, they have, you know, quarantine dorms and they have guidelines for that. But what is what are the chances that an outbreak on a team, whether it's one or four or six or whatever, or even the coaches um, derails the season? Or do you think it's it's going to happen now no matter what? I think, I think it's definitely, I would say, highly likely, if not um, almost a guarantee within the Big Ten. I mean, you've seen what's happened across the country. There've been more than a dozen games postponed since they restarted. You take a program like Memphis, it wins its season opener and then they have to postpone. And there's reportedly, was it 42 positive results in the test? I mean, things obviously can move really quickly. And when we talked to Bill Beekman, Michigan State's athletic director on uh, Wednesday, he had said basically that it was all but a certainty. He thought that there would be at least one team in the big 10 that would have, uh, have to shut down uh, at some point this season. And, the, the protocols that they put in place are interesting. If a player, you know, if you get a positive antigen test, you obviously, you have to, you'll automatically take the PCR test to confirm. Um, and if you're confirmed positive, you're out for a minimum of 21 days. And I mean, that with no, with nine games can, you know, scheduled in nine weeks, no buys. I mean, that's a 30 year season minimum you're out. And then the big 10 also has these positivity rate numbers released or, or set for both the team and population within the, it's kind of confusing, but, Regardless, I guess to the point of it is if you have a team positivity rate of more than 5% based on a rolling seven-day average, you have to shut down for a minimum of seven days. So, uh, I mean, you just general math of about 120 or so people, uh, well, 120 or so players. So, I mean, I, it, the way they word it, it's hard to get a total number on the people involved with the program. But if it was just, say, 120 or so players, I mean, you're looking at, what, seven or so players would get you to that above that 5%. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would expect there to be a number of bumps in the road this fall. Well, Ed Orgeron, the coach for LSU, I mean, he's a, he's a walking quote machine anyways. Um, but he said, oh yeah, I expect all my kids to get it as if, you know, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just a run of the mill thing. And, and like, you know, they'll all get it and their kids, they'll survive and we'll move on. Does he reflect the general thinking among the coaching establishment that, hey, this is no big deal and, hey, let's play football? At least publicly, I would say no. Um, you know, I, don't, I haven't heard too many coaches out there coming out and saying we're trying to get our players infected to try and you know, <laughs> build up herd immunity. Uh, um, now, that, that being said, you know, that we have seen outbreaks. I mean, this came out today, the Chicago Tribune that Wisconsin's had 40-some-odd players infected uh, since, since September or since August 1st. 
Uh, and we've seen outbreaks at Rutgers. We've seen outbreaks at Michigan State, like Matt was talking about earlier. Uh, so many schools have been hit hard. Uh, and I, I would suspect, like Matt was saying and theorizing, I, I think you'll see one or you I would, not, would not surprise me if you saw one or two other schools in the Big Ten face the same reality as we as we get deeper into the fall. Uh, and that impact that will impact games. Uh, Matt mentioned the, the positivity rates and, and whatnot. Um, but more importantly, I think, too, if and when people are found infected, uh, these players are going to sit out for 21 days. Uh, that, that's a long time. They're going to miss up to three games, uh, perhaps more. And if a team gradually, you know, if there's a huge outbreak on a team uh, and they have to shut down for seven days, they're going to not have to play a football game that affects the other team they're supposed to play. Uh, so don't be surprised if we get if we we move along into this Big Ten football season and several of these teams don't end up playing all nine games that are that are scheduled. Uh, just remind me, do Michigan State and Michigan have JV teams? I don't think they do, right? No. You're not calling kids up, right? No. Those are called uh, walk-ons. Okay. Always wanted to be a kicker, so maybe this is my year. You guys have done a great job covering this day by day. It's been a slow drip, you know, and um, it did start to take on a sense of inevitability when you saw some games getting played and, and money's rolling in, and I, I know, you know, what's at stake, but in addition to the great things you've written, I've read three interesting things this week. One, the Japanese government told their military to start tracking UFOs, but that's not for this podcast, Eric. That's for our other podcast. Dude, that we're... For real. Stay focused, <laughs> man. Stay focused. Always got to work at a conspiracy thing here. But uh, OK, so the two things that I thought were relevant to this conversation was an article about pandemic fatigue hitting Europe. And they're seeing daily rates in Spain and, and Italy and, you know, all these countries that are beyond France, beyond what they had at their peak in the spring. But people are like, yeah, we just had it. You know, we're tired. We're, we want to go socialize or out in the outdoor cafes and, and that sort of thing is kind of setting in. It's got, it's got the medical establishment pretty worried. And the other one was Christine Brennan's hot take in USA Today that the, U, that the Big Ten has just basically sold out their student athletes for money. And, you know, those two things combined, which I think are somewhat related, I think I sense some people I talk to that, hey, we've all sacrificed enough. Let's get back to regular life. Um, but at the same time, people's, you know, life and health is at stake. So first of all, what she said in USA Today, how much of that do you believe you know, take out the cynicism factor, but how much was money a factor and how much was what was at stake in the minds of the of the presidents and chancellors and the coaches? Uh, did it matter to get Ohio State to a national championship or to, to get the, the TV money? You know, how much, you know, how much do you guys think that factored in? I do think it was part of the equation. I mean, Michigan, for instance, stood to lose $100 million, uh, you know, in, in their fiscal year budget in the athletic department, which is a huge chunk of change. Uh, Michigan's always been a big money generator. Their football team brings a lot of money, as as do as does, you know, several other Big Ten schools. Uh, but that's, that's certainly part of it. Um, and I mentioned on our own weekly podcast in the last few weeks, there, there's this idea of, you know, fear of missing out, you know, for some of these players and coaches and parents when you watch these other conferences start playing football and, and generally they're not being a ton of issues. Yes, there have been breakouts and teams games being postponed, but when you're seeing games being played and, and several Michigan players have brought this up in interviews ever since they wonder what, why aren't we playing? We should be able to play too. Uh, so I, I think all that pressure 
Um, and, and Michigan, I think, was a unique situation too. Their president, Mark Schlissel, is facing a, a you know a ton of issues at this point. He's you know he's he's facing votes of no confidence. Um, the athletic department, I mentioned the money issues. Uh, so there are other issues on campus that are occupying his time. Um, so I, I have to think that he's not necessarily spending the same amount of time on, on football uh, and it's, you know, the, the season as maybe he was a few months ago. So I think it's a confluence of things. I don't think it's one thing, but I think all that the political issues and, and everything else certainly certainly play a factor. Yeah, absolutely. I have to echo what Aaron said. I mean, when we had the, uh, the press conference on Wednesday with Big Ten officials, Morton Shapiro is the uh, president of Northwestern. He's also the um, head of their uh, uh, presidents and chancellors uh, council for the Big Ten. Um, he said, you know, five weeks ago when he voted, which was obviously a no vote, he said he thought there was basically zero chance they could move forward safely. Um, and obviously things changed. Um, now, he said that his vote was not based on, you know, the, the uproar from players or parents or politicians or money or any of that. But I think you're, you've got to be kidding yourself if you think those weren't factors. I mean, if it wasn't for the money, they wouldn't be playing. Let's just be honest i mean that's that's absolutely there's there's a reason I, I, the big i think when the big 10 made the move they thought that the, they wanted to be out in front of it in the power five because they consider themselves such you know prestigious conference that values more than money and uh, more than you know athletics and money and and they thought everybody would follow them and the pac-12 obviously did immediately and i think you know i think the belief was that the you know the sec would be the last holdout at, at you know the minimum um, but they they probably thought there's no way this is going to actually work. And then when you do see it starting to work in other places and you see like, you know, I know it's not the best example to compare because it's not the same, but the NBA bubble and the NHL bubbles being so successful and these other programs playing, even though there are hiccups and there are, there are games postponed when Notre Dame is playing right across state lines and you have everybody, like Aaron said, asking they're playing, why can't we? And the Big Ten has the money to do but the same testing protocols in place, if not better than other college conferences, then put it all together and you get to this point. Yeah, that that dynamic of, you know, what you see around you, I think really started to hit. It happened with high school football in Michigan. Um, uh, the MHSAA postponed the season to spring. Ohio, like the next week goes, now nah, we'll play. And at the same time, you were seeing all the pressure on Governor Whitmer from um, gyms, um, bowling alleys, indoor fitness places. And she said at one point, I will not be bullied. And then a week later, she just punted it back to the MHSAA and said, hey, <laughs> if you want to play, go for it. You know, and um, so I don't know if there's political pandemic fatigue, too, because, you know, it's not a lot of fun to have people with AR-15s at the state capitol. Um, you know, protesting for their personal freedoms. And you go, at some point it becomes, it seems to become about personal decisions that people make to protect themselves, you know, rather than you can mandate it as a, a mass thing across society. And it's just looking like people have to make their own choices. And, you know, on that point, there have been players who opted out and they opted out of the NFL and they opted out of uh, NCAA football, but you guys have been writing and, and tweeting to our subtext account um, subscribers, which by the way, if you want to get insider info um, from Matt and Aaron on Michigan State and Michigan football, uh, please consider signing up for our, our subtext account. And they, they send uh, several messages a day about what's going on inside the programs, but I can link to that in our column and the podcast notes. But anyways, uh, what's the status? I, it looks like some of the players at least are reconsidering uh, their decisions to sit out. So why don't you guys 
give our listeners an update on what's happening there and how that works. I mean, can they come back? What What's the point of no return? Yeah, Michigan's had several guys either in, in, uh, announced publicly that they were going to leave uh, and declare for the NFL draft or have signed with an NFL agent. Uh, two were early on, uh, about six days after the Big Ten initially postponed the football season. Uh, quarterback Ambry Thomas and, and right tackle Jalen Mayfield they both put out public statements. They, they both said that they, were, they weren't going to play this year and, and begin prepping uh, since then. Uh, there, there been, there's been indications, and Ambry Thomas, in fact, spoke on the record yesterday in a radio interview that he he's trying to find a way back. Um, that, that's where it gets complicated here because under NCAA rule, once you sign with an agent and or start uh, you know, receiving um, benefits, um, money, money, compensation, things like that for travel or what the case, say basically deems you ineligible. Um, but there, there are, there's an avenue they believe here that because the Big Ten came out and said we're postponing the season, and I think Commissioner Warren, you know, a, a few weeks later afterwards followed up and said that, that the issue wasn't going to be revisited. I would suspect that these guys can make the argument that we were misled, we were, you know, we misread the situation, whatnot. Since then, Michigan's had a couple other guys. Since, since even the Big Ten announced they're coming back, Michigan's had a couple guys, a couple guys that have indicated they're leaving. Uh, receiver Nico Collins, he signed with agent Jerome's house. Uh, Dylan McCaffrey as well. Um, he anticipates to uh, transfer from Michigan. So uh, a lot of guys in limbo at this point. It, it sounds like Michigan might be able to get a couple of these guys back, but they're going to need an answer and a ruling, some type of ruling from the NCAA here relatively quickly. It does seem like it was a little bit of a bait and switch thing there. I mean, the conference really, when they made their decision, the, the two weeks following that, when they were under a barrage, they were steadfast that, Hey, we're going to stick with their decision. And uh, these kids were looking out for their future, I'm sure. And, you know, it would seem that they, maybe they, they should reconsider, get open the door for them. Yeah, I think absolutely. Those guys, like Aaron mentioned, uh, with the Big Ten postponing the season and then saying this is, this is final, those guys have a very good case to be reinstated if they choose to do so. Um, the, the NCAA would, would, would definitely be in the wrong if they weren't allowed these guys to go back to – to play another season of football. Michigan State situation isn't quite, isn't as, uh, I guess you'd say complicated as Michigan's when it comes to this. They had four guys publicly opt out. Uh, Jacob Panasuk is a starting DN. Jordan Reed is a starting right tackle. Uh, there's a backup linebacker, Marcel Lewis, and a, and a true freshman offensive lineman, Justin Stevens. None of those guys were were guys that were saying they were opting out to declare for the draft because they're, they're not quite at that level. Uh, Marcel Lewis is the one who has publicly opted back in at this point. Uh, the other three haven't said anything, and there hasn't been anything public from any of the other Michigan State players regarding opting out or guys opting back in. But um, for guys like Panis who can read, I would, you know, if they still have concerns, so be it. You know, that, that definitely be, you know, that they want to sit out. Um, that's obviously their choice. But when they when they opted out, this was before the NCAA ruled that all fall athletes get an extra year of eligibility and an extra year in which to complete it. So for a guy like Panis who can read, who are going into their senior years, they were looking at the possibility of oh, maybe the season is three games and it's cut and they don't have an extra year of eligibility and your senior year is basically trashed and that would obviously hurt your chances to play in the NFL. So when they made that decision, there were there were there there was more uncertainty. They now have a ruling. So technically they could opt in, they could play this fall and they could come back and play in another year in, in 2021. So um, there are definitely more options available to them at this point and, and answers to questions. How does it... I mean, we'll get to like the competitiveness and all this later, but 
what do these procedures look like now that it's a go? I know they've been working out. They've been following the guidelines. They've been testing. I think I think they're going to go to everyday testing uh, in the season. But how is the program going to look different? How is football going to look different from your perspective? I mean, fans, for instance, um, already we're seeing in sports that are being played, like the Lions had no fans. And that was weird because when they blew the game, uh, nobody booed, you know. <laughs> it was really bizarre. But also travel practicing, you know, all these things. What, what are the considerations that have come into play now? A lot of that's unclear at this point, but the Big Ten has said at this point they don't anticipate having any fans in the stands for any of the games this fall, which will made an interesting, just makes an interesting dichotomy with all this because Big Ten games, a lot of these stadiums are packed a lot of times, especially the big house. Um, they're used to packing 110,000 people into that mon- mon- monster facility. Uh, they're not going to have that this fall. It's going to be unique, I think, situation for the players and uh, the, you know, the coaches and everything else because you'll be able to hear each other, uh, whereas most games, some games, you're, you're not able to. Uh, so I, I think it cuts in a way. It'll probably cut away a little bit from the home field advantage perspective mm-hmm. that some of these teams do do have. Um, but, yeah, from, from a you know a travel perspective, that remains to be seen. I would be surprised if, if those short bus ride trips, like when Michigan, Michigan State play, maybe the teams decide to bus up the day of instead of staying in a hotel the night before. Um, I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan continues to sit, you know stay in a hotel the night before home games stuff like that so they're able to isolate their players uh, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how, how things change even from a media perspective you know at least covering Michigan we're, we're still unsure of how the protocols are going to go when it comes to the press box if we're even going to be allowed in the press box uh, because so far we've as I think Matt same case with Matt and many of the other Big Ten schools we're still doing interviews over Zoom I mean we haven't seen we haven't had face to face interaction with any of these players since. Gosh, January since Michigan mm-hmm. played in, in, in the bowl game. So it's, you know, a lot of things are up in the air at this point, but I would, it's, I, I fully suspect it's going to be a different fall than, than the ones we've, we've experienced in years past. Yeah. Um, well, for one thing, I know Michigan State will, at least looks like they will not be able to stay in the, the hotel before home games this year because the Kellogg Center, where they always stay, is closed because it's u- been used as a quarantine and isolation <laughs> facility for Michigan State students who would test. That's positive for COVID. So uh, that's probably off the table uh, for starters. But yeah, I think the travel stuff is going to be worked out. I mean, obviously, if you're playing at if you're Michigan or Michigan State and you're playing at Iowa or, or Maryland, um, you're not going to be busing there the day of. And, you know, you're going to have to fly and you're going to have to stay in a hotel and do all those things. But I think if you if there is another way around it to remove any sort of additional layer uh, of, you know, that creates a complication when it comes to you know, interacting with anybody that isn't part of your group that is being tested daily, they will try to strip that away and do the best they can. And um, costs are obviously a concern at this point too, even though football is the moneymaker, anything that you can uh, use to to reduce the cost will, will help your uh, the bottom line of your budget, obviously. These teams, they charter flights anyways, right? They, they're not flying commercial, staying around Detroit Metro Airport. So they can keep the people fairly isolated within the program. Okay, so for the last part of this, because let's just act like it's a normal season, and you know, by now, by now, Michigan would have been taken to triple overtime by Middle Tennessee State or something, and the fans would all be saying, "Well, how are we going to be national champions?" And it seems to be a foregone conclusion in the Big Ten competitiveness-wise, and I don't know how much all these unknowns factor in, you know, and the, the personnel coming and going and so forth. But that Ohio State is a national championship contender, and it's going to this whole season is just to get them to the, the playoff. 
But what are, what's the competitiveness look like for for the Wolverines and Spartans this year, especially with all the person you know, knowns and the personnel? Michigan's a big mystery. I mean, I know I can remember this time last year, or even you know a few months ago, this time last year, Michigan was picked to potentially win the Big Ten. And I, I don't see that being the case this year. Uh, they're down a lot of pieces on offense. Uh, you know, at this point, they're going to have a brand new quarterback, a whole brand new offensive line. Uh, they just potentially lost one of their best receivers, Nico Collins. So they got a lot of things to figure out in the offensive side of the ball. Um, if they can get some of these guys back on defense, whether it's Ambry Thomas, um, you know, they, they potentially could have a very good defense. Uh, but I don't at this point. I don't. I don't see Michigan scoring a ton of points this year. Uh, I, I think they have a good shot of, of winning some. You know, winning a good bulk of their home games. And obviously, we haven't seen a schedule yet. But I think they'll be competitive. But I, I don't see this being the year. You know, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh get over the hump. I mean, I suspect mm-hmm. it'll be another loss to Ohio State. Uh, they'll have to fight for probably second or third place in the Big Ten East. Uh, but I, this is a significantly depleted team. Uh, compared to the one we saw in 2019. Uh, if Michigan's an unknown, I guess I don't know what category I could put Michigan State <laughs> in at this point comparatively. Um, I don't think there's another program in the Big Ten that has been hurt more than Michigan State by all this, uh, the, you know, the, the COVID situation. And that's not to give them an excuse. I think it's just the fact. You get a head coach of 13 years who uh, abruptly retires in February. That's far from ideal. You So you bring in a new coach in Mel Tucker and he's got a new staff and you're three or four days away from uh, starting spring practice, whatever they were. And then you get all of your spring practice canceled, the 15 sessions that are wiped out. I mean, they did the best they can, you know, with, you know, installing schemes via zoom and all that stuff, but they get back to campus, they start workouts. And right when the summer schedule was, was ramp, about to ramp up to allow 20 hours a week, uh, they have to do a two week quarantine. And then you finally start fall camp and five days later, the big 10 pulls a plug on the season. So, I mean, they've continued working out. They've continued to do everything they can within the regulation or within the rules uh, allowed by the NCA. But this is, you know, a program with the new head coach, a new staff. You got new offense, defense, special teams, all this stuff. They haven't had a padded practice since December uh, before playing in the pinstripe bowl in New York. I mean, the expect and, and you know, and if they had, you know, 17, 18 returning starters, you could say, all right, well, they'll just adapt. But I mean, you they lost half their starters um, from last season. That was before Jordan Reed and Jake Panasu uh, opted out. We'll see about them. But you lose a three-year starting quarterback. You lose your top two receivers. You lose your leading tight end. You lose, well, if Panasu sits out, you'd lose your entire starting defensive line. Um, six three-year starters overall on defense. I mean, you add it all up and there are, there are a lot of unknowns and Michigan State didn't get too far down the depth chart last year because they did rely on so many upperclassmen. So there are some key pieces uh, back. You know, they got a promising young running back in Elijah Collins. Um, and you, Antoine Simmons is a good linebacker. There's some young talent out there, but um, it's really unknown. I think, you know, I've said from the start, even before the COVID situation hit, uh, I thought if Michigan State was to, to, to post a six and six record and make a bowl game, that would have been a tremendous success for, for Mel Tucker this year. Obviously, it's different season nine games but if they were to be around 500 um remain competitive with with teams that that you know the big boys michigan's ohio states and penn states um and just show some identity show an identity for what mel tucker's uh, program is going to look like show some improvement on offense after the last two years of miserable production and um just show growth week to week that's i think that's a win this year nobody should be nobody is predicting nor should they be expecting them to contend in the big Ten. So I'm hearing you say is that the the annual uh, uh, Paul Bunyan Bowl 
is going to be a high-scoring, well-played affair between two teams that really know their identity, right? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> it, might, it might be really competitive, though. Well, you've seen some of the college plays so far with uh, the, the shutdown. I mean, there's been some sloppy play, and that's to be widely expected across the country, well, I think, especially you know, early. What I, who was it, South Arkansas State or something? I mean, I was watching the game. I'm like, these kids are like, I would have never been on TV, national TV. They're like 12 million people watching me right now. So it's a definitely an upside-down year. Um, it's almost like football has is, is, is become the avatar for this weird – year you know all the the back and forth the decisions and the the kids in high school have to wear masks when they play and you know it's everything's everything's like hypersensitized and it's very polarizing but I just got the sense with with football that there was just enough pressure that the people who make the decisions to your point Aaron you were saying Schlissel I mean he his under he's you know getting sued by his undergrad uh, assistants who don't want to teach and things like that that they said you know Athletes want to play football, let them play football. Other sports are playing. And so it's a weird time in society, but uh, just selfishly as a football fan, um, it's nice nice to have it back. But I hope everybody stays safe. I hope that there's no long-term bad health effects for this for the athletes. And uh, really hope that that vaccine comes along pretty quickly. Yes, all the above. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to watching some football again here uh, here shortly once the Big Ten gets going. And looking forward Absolutely. to seeing you guys in an office again someday. <laughs> Crossing my right? right? Yeah, this one-dimensional view of my staff is, is getting a little old. But, uh, hey, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate your insights. And as I said, our listeners uh, hope that they've, they've signed up for Wolverine Confidential and Spark Confidential podcasts and the subtext accounts, um, which, again, I'll link to in the column uh, and podcast notes. You guys are doing a fantastic job in difficult circumstances, and I appreciate it. Eric, once again, thank you for joining us today on Behind the Headlines, running the show. I appreciate it. You got it. We'll see you all next week. And there they go. Special thanks to Matt and Aaron for joining us today to sort of get into the nitty gritty about what's going on with Big Ten football. As always, if you like what we're doing here, all you can do to help us out would be amazing is to put the podcast in a playlist on Spotify, like and review everywhere else that you hear the podcast, and then share it with someone. Till next week, I'm Eric Hulkerin, he is John Heiner, and this is Behind the Headlines.